Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast, where we focus on the lore, rules, and storytelling of narrative play. Thank you for joining us once again as we pitch our tents, set up camp, and share our tales from along the path to story. Your companions around the campfire this episode are... I'm Will, but today I am Noxar Chaos, the immovable Umbrariarch, ruthless tactician of the Fossilian Tithe. I see why you had to practice that a couple times before we started recording. Uh, Umbroriarch. Yeah, yeah Umbroriarch. I, I, I mean, Does like, mean I know. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, thing? I know it's supposed to be some kind of like architect thing, but it, literally I'm just getting the idea of, you know, yeah. an Osiarch that's selling yeah. umbrellas. Like, oh, and then I'm thinking about Gotrek, where they had the bone rain. So, like, they're just Ooh, like super yeah. sturdy oh bone umbrellas. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's actually this really useful character. For normal people, we're like, oh, the Umbriarch is here. The Umbriarch is here. We're saved. Oh, goodness. We're saved. I, well, and I can imagine it now. Uh, for those who don't know, it's from Ghoul Slayer. And Shaiish, there's just, it just rains little bits of bone. And uh-huh. I'm just imagining, since you mentioned it's an Osiarch, of like one Osiarch in this town selling umbrellas. And he gets paid after it rains. He gets to sweep up all the bones and then carry it back to uh, base. And then he makes more umbrellas with them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> He's just, I'm just imagining him with, you know, the trench coat and kind of, you know, you meet him down an alley and, you know, he opens the thing and says, hey, you want to you buy some umbrellas? What are you buying? <laughs> what are you buying? <laughs> <laughs> and that, listeners, is a free soulbound NPC that we've just created on the fly. So there you go. You're welcome. You're so welcome. All right, well, uh, my name is Paul, but today, my name is Skoros Realmwill, itinerant meddler of the Devouring Archives. The Devouring Archives. And he's a a meddler of the Archives. It sounds Zinchian to me. Right. Well, it's devouring things. Yeah, right, and the Archive, yeah. Like, I think, since he's the meddler, that he's going around, like, meddling with the system. Like, this, Mm -hmm. you've got the librarian with with the Siggy Decimal system. And then this guy is just rearranging it all. Is that like Sigma? Is that what you were doing? It's the yeah. Siggy Decimal? Excellent. Brilliant. Yeah. Yes. It, it, this is confirmed now. All libraries yeah, use the Siggy Decimal system. I, I mean, so, but like, my question is who came up with the Siggy Decimal system, right? Like, it, is it completely different than the Dewey Decimal system? Are they like, all right, well, Gurain books, right? Those are definitely mm-hmm. going to be the 800s, right? Yeah. Right, and, I, and, and the 1200s are all of the books about the faith of Sigmar, right? Regardless of who wrote them, if you want to find any aspect of Sigmar, there you go, right yeah. in the yeah. 1200s. I also would like to think that, like, <laughs> the person who did it had made, like, a Dewey Decimal System. Sigmar enjoyed it, so then he reforged him and then just told him that... It, <laughs> oh, it's a different name, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, this feels like a techless invention that then oh, Sigmar true. saw, like so many things that Sigmar sees and is like, aha, I love this so much and it will now have my name on it. What if this- my books were more important, though? Hey, what is this character's yeah. name? I am the Lord Librarian. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. That's the next, that's the confirmed, that's the next uh, <laughs> Lord Librarian. He's, like, He's just like the code, right? He has just like a rack of books oh on god, his back, yes. right? <laughs> Oh, now I want to do that conversion. <laughs> well, we have, we have, I noticed like this edition and some of previous editions, there are so many models with books. 
You've got, uh, what is it, Lothar of the Ideneth, who's got his scroll. Uh, oh, yes. The of the Osiarch. He's got his books. Now we've Nagash got the Nagash is right. literally swirling around nine Nagash of them. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, what, the Scriptor Mortis with the mm-hmm. Nighthaunt. That's got yes. his, yep. like, that's... Uh, all of these models, they're trying to hype up battle tomes so much that the Absolutely. models now come with the battle tome. So that's well, the yeah, cali- the Caligrave as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the code right, the code right. His weapon is literally a battle tome. That is yes. literally what the weapon is called in the battle tome for <laughs> oh, his war scroll. Fantastic. So you got to wonder: does he get so a new much. a new battle tome every edition? Or is he just like yeah. stuck hitting somebody with a previous <laughs> battle tome? He's he's, like, and they're like, lol, get up to date. 2.0, exactly. They're like, oh, it says I can is... fly high at any time. <laughs> or he he's like he's the one he's the one character in all of Age of Sigma that breaks the fourth wall and yeah. is just running around being like, Oh my god, there's a new codex that uh, codex before we go. There's a new battle tome that releases, you know, <laughs> next week, and everyone is like, What are you talking about? <laughs> like get on the ship we need to go now this is crazy person. every time a new battle tome releases he's got to like go on a new journey to go and yes. get the battle tome oh from that army he's from... literally been the busiest person in the mortal realms for the past 18 months exactly exactly from the workshop of games of course mm-hmm. which is located somewhere in shaman yeah 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 <laughs> he's got a citadel in shaman yep. and that's where everything kind of start springs from so well, well, we we've wandered far fantastic. from Boros uh, <laughs> Rumwell, but well, I think we can let move me, on. Let, let me finish yeah. this off then. Yes, yeah, so my name is Kieran, but today you can call me Jabuk Gauntpelt, subtle defecator of the endless ritual. <laughs> so it's silent but deadly. Exactly, yeah. and <laughs> it's endless. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I told you guys I was I was like clicking through and I just, oh, I saw subtle defecator and I was like, yeah. well, this is the best name ever. <laughs> How, he's got a lifetime sigh of depends, right? Like some yes. noblar is just carrying bales Absolutely. of depends after him. It's like no wonder his second name is Gaunt Pelt. It's like yeah, yeah you know, if you're endlessly subtly defecating. I will be honest, this is the one character I don't want to see a custom model for. So listen, <laughs> oh, home, don't do it. Don't no. tweet it at us. Also, but again, oh god, I hundred percent free. Idea. Here's a great NPC for your soulbound campaign. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna pretend I didn't say it, which Uh-oh. is all I'm saying is whatever else you use as a base for this model, you're gonna need to buy yourself a tide. Uh, is it Tidecaster, Tidemaster from the island <laughs> yeah. that had the like cloak, the like water cloak? Uh, oh, the only model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not the Tidecaster. It's the uh, the Avatar. That's yeah. it, the Avatar. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and get gross with it. Just embrace it. Really sounds like a Nurgle character now. I'm just imagining really the does. greater unclean one that was sitting on the Alariel's waterfall, just yeah. contaminating mm-hmm. the waterfall indefinitely, so no one could come through the realm gate. <laughs> I'm I'm like excited for yeah listeners and you guys to see what it is because it, it is actually yeah I was surprised because I it okay so hint is it's it's actually nothing to do with Nurgle but um it sure does sound like it yeah right which is interesting mm. anyway 
I mean, if it's corn, to some, I'm gonna lose it. If it's corn, mind bleach to uh, move on past that. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyways, wonderful good. name. We can now begin the show. Let's forget any of that ever happened. Oh. All right. Okay, so with those lovely names out of the way, and by the way, listeners, if uh, you would like to try and guess what they are, you can uh, head on to uh, www.mortalrealms.com uh, forward slash discord. Is it The Mortal Realms or just Mortal Realms? The Mortal Realms. I, okay, duh, I did this again. The, the, the <laughs> last episode I was on where I just was like, just confidently leapt into it with no prior. Okay, <laughs> so anyway, www.themortalrealms dot com forward slash discord uh and you can come to the path to glory uh sub channel and let us know where you think those names come from as for us we are going to move on to our hobby section do you guys have anything in particular you want to talk about for hobby i suspect not for reasons that we will get onto later on in the episode uh i do have a little something i've been working on Mm -hmm. uh so uh, one of the first armies I started collecting is getting a battle tome. Uh, it will be out by the time you listen to this, but it is not out by the time we record it, which Exciting. is the OCR Bone Reapers. Yes. Uh, and this is something I tried doing when they first came out, and then I couldn't get it to work the way I wanted to, so I gave up. And now it's back, which is I started working on my Deathhawk agents. Oh, oh fantastic. Yeah, nice. <laughs> So what I've done here is I've just taken the OCR bird endless spell. Yes. And I've just literally tacked the Swift Hawk agent uh, sky cutter, just the cherry apart on its back. And I had a second, what are you? Bone shaper uh, that Amazing. I turned into like a hero with the spear and sword. Yep. And I had an extra, like, one of those standard things that yep. the uh, the mounted unit has that's got all the birds on it. Put the that Cavalos? on the back. Yeah, the Cavalos. And then I need to, like, strip the paint off of it, but then I'm going to put the Aviarch Spymaster from Catacros on oh, the nice. back as well. Oh, fantastic. So it really is my Deathhawk agent. Uh, yes. because I think I, I, I think I've mentioned this a few times because I'm still salty about it. <laughs> I had bought a 2000 point Swift Hawk agent army, assembled uh-huh. it all, and a month later it got squatted. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was specifically the units I had just gotten. Exactly <laughs> so it's like, it okay. Yeah, I also uh, have so, a 2000 point Swift Hawk agent's army, but I was three colors in. So it's all it's three ooh, colors. I yeah. just need to finish it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll get there um, one day. So oh I was inspired by the Bone Reapers novella, which has a Swift Hawk agent fighting the oh, Bone Reapers cool. in the air. Mm-hmm. So it's the OCR Empire is massive. Yes. Messages need to get around. And so they took all of the bones of the now deceased Swift Hawk agents and have made their own like messenger group. And that's what like mine's so- going to be. You're telling me that your new army is going to be the OEPS, which is the OCR Empire Postal Service? Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, um, it would be the Royal Mail. Come on, Catacros is the right the truth. Come yes. on, right? <laughs> it was right there. It was right yeah. there. So obviously, <laughs> obviously, the guy that's on the boat right now, his name is Pat. And it will always Pat, be Pat. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, always Pat. Always Pat. Postman always Pat. Pat. Yeah. So and good. So I'm not sure if I'm going to switch 
my path to story army to mm. OCRX right away, but I'm keeping it on the endless spell base so I can use it as an endless spell if I need to. That's right. Really uh, cool. But the plan is to do this for Holy Havoc since it takes me forever to get around oh, to yeah. it. Oh yeah. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna be my Anvil Hero, uh, Holy Havoc Warlord, and then Endless Spell. Um, Fantastic. Until that point. I also like the idea cool. that it is a character who is just attached to an Endless Spell. Yes. Yeah. The realms as he is summoned. Like, oh God. Like, where are we going now? <laughs> so that, that's oh, adventure, gosh. right? But OCR style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a gorgeous conversion world. That oh, is really. It looks. I'm... It looks stunning. It's like yeah, perfectly proportioned. Like it looks really, really good. I don't know what changed from the first time I tried it to now. Maybe just like more confidence in mm, myself. Yeah, but like totally. I didn't. It's not like I added new bits from when I first started it. It just fits better in my mind. I think yeah. I'm just happier because like the bird is flying at a weird angle, mm. and I think I'm just happier with having the model on it at that angle so it looks like it's like leaning into it so so you feel like the conversion is less obtuse exactly more acute 100 <laughs> percent um and uh, then my other big hobby that i've been doing this past month is been daunting which is okay. i plan on just like moving apartments here in the next six months oh sure and i have so many sprues <laughs> and so I've been clipping sprues and it's taking forever. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. My favorite. It needs to happen because yeah. like an entire box of sprues has been like a tiny little sandwich bag of bits. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can only imagine. So that's how been- how how many sprues would you say? Like what are we talking here? How many like I don't want to talk about it. That's big. You know what? That's really <laughs> bad. That I, Will is mentally scarred from the process already, and he's not done yet. Well, there's that. But Looking it's more, Will's eyes just now is, yeah. It's more along the guilt of, I haven't done it, period. And that uh, buying and assembling was my, like, early COVID, like, depression mechanism. Yeah, like, they totally. get dopamine back. So it's like, oh, I really went all out on this, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we needed a lot of dopamine. Right, right, right. Well, and it it helps now because I don't need to buy anything new to like start a new OCR army. I already have 2,000 points assembled. I just need to paint them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's nice. That's very exciting. So I got that gun for me, which is nice. Exactly. Uh, Also, for you, this, yeah. Yeah. I've been working on my squigs uh, again. Um, so I have been getting the base colors on my squig herd and then also, uh, one of my mangler squigs. So that's been kind of fun to see that. Not exciting. Start what color actually, are you painting them? Uh, so they're going to be white, orange, purple, and green. Oh, I love that. Um, so I, I was inspired by one of the color schemes that's in the battle tome forgets. So. Oh, very cool. And that feels very Hishian as well. Like it feels... Like ties them in with weather. Yeah, weather I wanted to have something like very bright and very clean for Hish, mm-hmm. but it's on the bottom of the models instead of the top. So I was kind of trying oh, to, yeah, right, yeah. So, well, um, I've the, seen them in person, and they like it really does come across well with like having those lighter underbellies. That's yeah, really it, cool. I mean, all the credit goes to the Battle Tome uh, army in there, but yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's been fun to watch them work. So, uh, and then I got to do a hobby class at Adepticon. Oh, um, where I got to use some of the GW technical paints with somebody actually sitting there watching me, telling me how to use them. 
God, and so I, cool. I learned much better from having somebody in person than I do from watching yes. videos. Yeah. So um, I've got a, a decent Stormcast scheme. I don't know if I'll ever use it, but I have it. <laughs> um, yeah, and ready then to go. I, I learned how to use the gem paints, actually, uh, which has been fun. Ooh, so I've always wanted, yeah. Every time I like watch a couple of tutorials, uh, and they like it, it just looks like magic, and I've yeah. always been too scared. So basically, what you have to do um, is uh, so. A shout out to Adam from Warhammer TV. He was a com- one that came oh, across God. and did like thirteen freaking painting classes in four wow. days, which is insane. Wow. Um, yeah. But basically, you pull it out of the pot, and then you just put a tiny amount of water in it. And it doesn't mm. make sense because it looks like jelly. But you put a tiny amount of water in it. And it's slightly less jelly, but it's still like super tacky and gloppy. But yep. that little bit of water cuts it enough so that when you put it on, then it gets the sheen. But the, mm, the other right. thing is that you have to put Stormhost Silver or a really bright metal underneath it. Because gotcha. that's what actually gives it the reflection. You're basically that's glazing it, which is what I didn't understand. Oh, I yeah, thought you were true. actually painting the paint directly on right. top what you're actually doing is glazing the stormhouse silver that's really cool good to know yeah yeah and i'm like oh so um we got uh a 40k figure one of the uh um eldar um heroes uh with oh, a yes. bunch of gems and um so i tried it and it was like oh the paint works exactly like it's <laughs> supposed to amazing yeah. when, when i learn how to apply the paint it's perfect so revelation yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's been That's fun. Very, very yeah. yeah, amazing. Well, so, as for me, it has been not a very productive month, two months. I wasn't on last episode either. Um, I was just, um, we were just talking about it a little bit before we were on air. I've very much fallen down. The only hobby I've been up to is I've fallen down a Horace Heresy uh, rabbit hole uh, reading the novels and things. So I was like, it's still Games Workshop. It sort of counts a little bit. Yeah, it counts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I am very much determined because this next month should be a little bit quieter and a little bit slower, which is nice. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this on the podcast so that next episode <laughs> I will either hang my head in shame or <laughs> actually what will probably happen is the week before we record, I will panic do this to, to <laughs> try, and, try and get it in there. Yeah. But I would recommend build... the second because if you hang yep. your head in shame, that's really not going to translate on radio. I mean, yeah, we could say, true. oh, I, look, yeah. he's hanging his head in shame. Oh, no. <laughs> Viewers, yeah, listeners, I don't know. Um, I, um, I'm going to build the Dominion box, and I'm going to build the Arcane Cataclysm box. And then I will have a bunch of Lumineth, I will have a bunch of Orcs, I will have a bunch of uh, Stormcast, and a bunch of Zinchin cultists, so I can actually play some games. Because I think I've been bogged down in um learning to paint again uh, this is still a very new thing for me uh, after you know being a teenager and doing it and not you know being in the hobby for you know or the painting side of the hobby for eight plus years um i think i've been very like in my own head about okay i have to sit down and i have to really like learn how to paint which i do want to do but i'm also one of those people that if i'm not immediately perfect at it i'm like mm, well i'm not gonna do it because i'm gonna be really but you have to be bad at it to get good at it and I, that's, i'm trying to yep. like psych myself up for it so i was like right as a compromise so i can actually play games and tell the narrative i'm just gonna build everything to start with so yeah. and then paint from there so we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes I'm, I'm i'm confident but we'll see how i feel in may <laughs> right yeah uh gray still plays so yeah gray still plays yeah yeah absolutely okay fabulous anything else gents you want to mention uh in this section 
Uh, I do not. Well, uh, before we move on to the meat of our episode, which is going to be chatting about uh, Adepticon and Will and Paul's journey and experience there, we are going to briefly cover some Path to Glory reviews. Uh, So this is the section of the podcast where we look at the Path to Glory campaigns contained within the uh, Age of Sigmar 3.0 battle tomes. Uh, And we kind of break it down for you a little bit. Um, It might be a um, battle tome you haven't picked up before. Or even if you have, you may not have like flicked to the back to check out the narrative thing. And so really what we're hoping for in these sections is it might give you a little bit of inspiration uh, with a force you already have. Or it might give you, um, you know, that itch to start a new army, which uh, we all love. So uh, the two that we're going to mm-hmm. look at today are the Stormcast Eternals and the Fire Slayers. So I'm going to start with the Stormcast Eternals. I really like this pack. I, I like both the spoilers. I really, really like both of these. In fact, I think they're two. I think they're two of the stronger, more thematic path to glory campaigns. Um, uh, the Caradron Overlord book disagrees with you, but you may continue. A hundred percent. I listened to the last set, but I I have not like dive, dived in deep. So a hundred percent. I I feel like we went through this period where some of the very early battle tones that came out in three point like. Uh, yeah, so the, the the some of the early ones like the uh, the Uruk Warclans, which you know you guys talked about last week, mm-hmm. with the kind of ransacking, I think is really thematic and really fun. And Stormcast Eternals and Fire Slayers are both quite early. Um, I have some issues when we move into kind of like the the like kind of middle of the releases. Like um, Skaven is interesting, but um, you know we'll we'll talk about Skaven when we get there. And like Disciples of Zinch is another one that comes to mind that just is like feels like it's lacking a little bit of something, a direction for the the campaign. Um, so you know, uh, um, listeners, if if you disagree with me, please do, and please uh, visit us over at www.themortalrealms.com forward slash discord and tell me uh, how I'm completely wrong. I would love that. So yeah, oh, they will. Um... <laughs> Well, and before we like dive into Stormcast, like to me, it categorizes as like there's like a few groupings of types of Path to Glory things we mm. do. There's, mm-hmm. and I kind of talked about this last episode, like some of the earlier ones are how like they change how you build your Path to Glory. Yes. With the way Orc Warclans do coalitions or maybe create your own sub factions. Um, there's some of the newer ones that have like mini games for you to play. Yes. And then the I realized there's a third grouping that a lot of death armies have and mm. Ideneth since they operate like a death army, which is you get new resources to spend based on what you do. And the reason sure. you like, it's like, oh, we killed this many people. So now we can raise them and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. No, it is a great point. Not too familiar with Skaven or its scene, so I don't know like where they fall or if there's like a fourth grouping I'm not aware of yet. But like I'm noticing patterns form. Yes, yeah. Skaven's um, has a lot to do with like the master plans, which like you say you're going to do something before the battle starts. Um, I haven't read it in a while. I was like flicking through them before the episode uh, started to to pick which ones, um, and then you get like certain bonuses at the end for that. So I, can, I guess it kind of falls into a little bit of the resourcey kind of thing, not. Not exactly in the way you're saying, but yeah, right. we'll um, maybe we'll talk about Skaven next next yeah. uh, next yeah. episode. Um, but yes, the I'd Stormcast. Like to learn more. Yes, exactly. The Stormcast Eternal and the Fire Slayers definitely fall within the category of like, yeah, build your own, you know, faction and and how your sub faction and how that's going to operate. Uh, and then the Fire Slayers love a mini game. Very excited <laughs> to talk about the Fire Slayers mini game. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about Stormcast Eternals first. So I have the books in front of me. So pardon me. Uh, listeners, if you hear some uh, page turning while I do this, 
Oh no, a lore pa- podcast. I know. I talking know. about <laughs> page turning. How dare we? <laughs> the books. I, I hate pages. I only want digital. Okay, so the uh, Stormcast Eternals rules kind of has a couple of parts to its um, uh, its whole structure. So the the first thing that you'll read in the book uh, is the reforging system, uh, and the reforging system really has two parts. Uh, The first is that, as we know from the law, or if we don't know from the law, Stormcast Eternals, when they die, they are um, zapped back up to Azaheim, which is the realm that Sigmar uh, inhabits and is the home of the Stormcast Eternals, to be reforged on the anvil of Apotheosis, and then they are um, reborn, sent back out, and they are the same person that they were before. However, if it happens too many times, you begin to lose parts of yourself. So the way that this comes across in the Path to Glory campaign is that your heroes can never, uh, when they die, you don't remove them from your uh, roster, from your your battle roster, Um, which in and of itself is quite cool because, um, you know, when that happens to you in games, that can sometimes mean it's still an interesting narrative thing, but if your warlord dies or a hero in your army dies, suddenly it's like, oh no, like I've, you know, right. I've been building up the story. I've been, you know, kind of doing that with the Stormcast Eternals. I feel like you get longer character arcs when you have, when you're doing them as a Path to Glory uh, army, simply by virtue of um, they can die and come back again. And in fact, I, I feel like it almost, it can change how you play as well, because you might be more willing to risk uh, a Stormcast uh, hero during a battle knowing that even if they do die you will be able to reforge them versus mm-hmm. you know being a little bit more precious with other factions that don't have similar mechanics uh, because you're like well if i throw my you know newly acquired hero right into the thick of things um I, that's it like that might be their heroic last stand um so i think that's very very thematic and um you can do this as many times uh, as you want uh, when you do so, you, the cost, I'm not going to go through the whole like mechanic thing, but basically the cost is every time they're reforged, they lose a certain number of renown points. Is renown mm-hmm. points. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this can even get to the point where if a hero was previously at 15 renown points, which is the level that you become a mighty hero and gain uh, a command trait, uh, you, if you drop below 15, you lose access to that uh, command trait. Which is a big deal because they are big, like game swinging abilities. You know, if it's your warlord, you start with one, um, and so you're going to keep the hero, but you might find that like they begin to lose things about themselves. You know, and so that's that's mechanically mm-hmm. represented in the game as well. Uh, and the second part of that is uh, the heading of the book is called the price of immortality. Um, and so when they are reforged from the second time, the book says their soul begins to fracture. And from then onwards, they cannot gain more than three renown points in the aftermath sequence of each Path to Glory battle. So that's kind of a big deal. Like eventually it will sort of, um, you'll still be able to gain renown, but it will be a slower pace. It will be a slower peg. And so it sort of represents that, you know, your hero is losing parts of themselves. I remember from um, the previous Path to Story season, Will, of course, running a Stormcast army. And so I'm sure you're intimately familiar with this whole thing. But I loved one of the things you did, which was one of my, favorite uh things from that whole season is you uh grabbed some of the roll tables from the soulbound which is the age of sigma um yep. uh, role-playing game uh, and they have tables for hey here's some weird traits that might happen when a when a stormcast gets reforged and uh i love that that was another way of you personalizing your army yeah that 
was definitely very rewarding and only could happen because I was running like an elite Stormcast army. Yeah. Um, so there was way mm-hmm. fewer models to have to worry about. Because um, I, I feel like if I was running just like Liberators, I cr- quickly would have used every roll on that table. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yes, I know. Um, but yeah, like that, having that reforging, having those quirks, there's a lot of cool narratives you can tell with it. Yeah. And then this, like, like you had been mentioning, Karen, it does support it with the rules. Like your warlord could no longer, like, you may not have any command traits going right. into a battle because they got killed too early. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's always, yeah, you know, we as a podcast, we've said this many times, um, we're very much first and foremost uh, interested in telling stories and telling interesting, fun stories. Uh, and when the rules help us do that, great. When they don't, you know, we're not as, uh, uh, you know, we're not as married to the rules as, as well. We have to follow them. But it is really lovely when you get something like this, that when narrative and mechanics go together, because it does add that little bit more, uh, impact where you're actually seeing these things happen play out in the game mechanically which i think is really uh really yeah. fulfilling yeah fantastic well the next part which i think is really like the biggest reason that you would be interested in running a stormcast eternals um uh you know path to glory campaign uh the heading of the book is called tenants of the gladiatorium and mm-hmm. this is essentially i put in the notes it's a uh, a build a storm host uh section so um the Gladiatorium is uh, a place in Azerheim. Uh, is it in the Sigmar in his like? I forget what it's like. Yes, basically it is It is the training ground where uh, the Stormcast train before they get sent into the realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a gift from Valerian, incidentally. I was going to say it's a gift from Valerian, yeah. So it's definitely fine. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fine. There's nothing wrong no, with it. No nothing issues. weird or yeah. I'm not yeah. stealing anything from you when you die and are reforged in this yep. weird thing from the Shadow Realm. It's totally fine. We're all great here now. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we won't <laughs> see any of that when we get an eventual Malaria and, and his whole crew release. I'm sure that that oh, won't come up, no, won't feature. Oh, yeah, gosh. Great. Absolutely. So. One of my favorite tidbits is like after Broken Realms and Marathi betrayed Sigmar, Sigmar's like, okay, I'll let you have that city. We're good now. Wink. And then mm-hmm. the Gladiatorium, all the enemies, the... The shadow enemies they were fighting were all Marathi soldiers now. Oh, yeah. Like, we're training. Don't worry about it. It's for practice. Oh, <laughs> just it just case. does it sometimes. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. We can't select what they look like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just happens to be that we're getting used to fighting. Yeah, you guys. That's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> How Amazing. are you? Um, so the cool thing about the Tenants of the Gladiatorium in the actual book is that um, it basically gives you three tables that you can pick a number uh, of different traits from. So it's two total across three tables. You can't pick more than one trait per table. Um, the cool thing is that uh, all models in your army will gain whatever you name your storm host. They all gain that storm host type. So uh, it's as far as I can remember. I think it's the it's it's the only time in third edition rules that you can kind of assign like something that you've created and it actually goes on a models, you know, in their tag system, which is pretty, yeah. maybe that does happen elsewhere and I'm just, you know, not aware of it. Um, not that I can think of. I, I, I can't think of many instances where mechanically you are allowed to create something that becomes a keyword. 
Yeah, totally. Like it, it, it's surprising or not surprising, but like you would think that um, it might have its own, yeah, like, you know, generic, this is a storm host that isn't a, a named one within the rules, but it's so cool that, yeah, like all of your stuff gets to have the storm host or storm keep name. Um, the way that these tables are broken down are pretty much, uh, there's Tenants of the Hammer, which is very much uh, combat focused, is looking to do uh, hit harder, um, hit more, uh, have more attacks, that kind of thing. There are Tenants of the Shield, which are looking at either defense or resilience, um, looking to kind of make you one of them, my favorite. <laughs> okay, one of these I think is wild, is uh, Celestial Radiance from Tenants of the Shield. I'm going to read the fluff here. Uh, the power of the heavens cloaks these warriors, turning aside even the most lethal of blows. All friendly Stormhost units have a ward of six plus. They get a six up ward, which is kind of nuts. That's not like in this scenario, that's not here or there. It's like, nope, just your whole army. Uh, And the other thing is, we'll get onto this, but um, you can choose, when you choose a Stormhost, you can be either a Scions of the Storm army or you can be a Stormkeep army. If you're a Scions of the Storm army, you basically live in Azraheim, and so you get to do the cool you know, things that the Stormcast Eternals are known for, which is arrive on the battlefield in the bolts of lightning um, and kind of storm your enemy from there. But if you choose a storm uh, keep uh, storm host, um, you sort of have a base of operations like many of the storm hosts that we know uh, throughout the law, and they belong to various cities throughout the mortal realms. The cool thing about that is that you can take cities of Sigmar as coalition units. So one in four uh, of units in your army can be um, uh, cities of Sigmar. The Mm-hmm. Really cool thing about that is that the rules specifically say that they all gain your storm keep uh, your storm host uh, like tag as well. So essentially, you have like you can have cities of Sigmar units that have a six up ward in your army, along with all of your other Stormcast Eternals, which feels very good. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. The last of the tables is Tenants of the Tempest, and as you might guess, this is very much interested in. Uh, the movement phase it's interested in retreating either in uh, units being able to charge uh, or retreat and still charge in the same phase or preventing enemies from retreating so it's kind of really it's looking to control that part of the the battlefield in your enemy so um, again very cool you can really customize I think in total I meant to count these up there are three there uh, four there another four yeah so there's quite a lot like you the, the choices are between what you can do like it really does change how your army plays um and i just think that's really awesome like you really get to customize your stuff which is great um any thoughts on those especially will i know you've played um, stormcast yeah no first. i i found this to be super fun to play with because like all of the existing storm hosts have their own themes to them yeah like Tempest Lords, the bo- like the bonuses for flying. Yes. Knights Excelsior, the bonuses are for like paladin units. Uh, and so this takes it a level past that, beyond yes. just like helping a specific unit type, but helping with specific play styles that you could do yeah. with any unit. Um, so I think that's super cool because like when you're creating narratively, when you have a storm host. You're not just thinking, well, this storm host is entirely fulminators and right. storm drakes, just because that's what the metal list is. Yes, um, like there's always going to be foot soldiers; they just might not be a part of that army. Right. So this allows you to create that actual full storm host. Yeah. Sure, you can tailor your army to get the most benefits out of it, but I think it actually has more narrative flavor than 
the standard storm host benefits. My yeah. only real complaint is that not every battle tome has something like this. Yeah. Well, that was honestly, yeah, I was going to bring that up is that actually I would really love to see this as a standardized section mm-hmm. in every battle tome. You know, that you can do this with Gloom Spike Gits, you could do this with Lumineth, you could do this with Chaos. It's like a lot of a lot of those um, battle tomes do have ways of personalizing and customizing, like you were saying, well, in the same way that like, yeah, you could pick a named storm host that has a particular fighting style. You can kind of tailor it a little bit there. But it would be fantastic. It would be really, really fun to go so far as like, yeah, you're creating your own thing in such a way that like, yeah, your Lumineth force gets, uh, you know, it gets its own little tag that you've created or, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I, uh, yeah, I agree. I think those are, that's kind of, if you're interested in narrative and interested in lore and telling stories, that feels like the bread and butter of um, of narrative play is being able to really leave your, tell your story, leave your mark, um, you know, on your, uh, on your force. So that being um, said, you could definitely port this over into any other battle tome. I was just going to your opponent and be like, hey, this oh, is a yeah. cool mechanic. Let's use it for both of our armies and we'll figure it out, right? Yeah, because um, so. none of these benefits are specific to Stormcast. No. Plus one to hit when hitting a monster or yep. award save or reroll charges. Yep. Like they're all generic enough that I'm surprised this isn't just like in the path to glory section. Like when you're creating your yeah. army, instead of choosing a, a sub faction, pick two from these three tables and make yes. it like I feel like that should that should slash could just be a standard. Yeah, it, feel, it feels almost like it should be in with like the Anvil of Apotheosis stuff where it's like, okay, you're, you're about to make your own hero, but before you do that, you know, this is like an Anvil of Apotheosis for a faction, you know, uh, yeah. within your thing. So um, maybe, maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll do something fun with that in a development diary yeah. in the future. That might be interesting, but yeah. yeah so that's right. kind of, that's kind of where we're at with Stormcast. They have a bunch of really cool quests and veteran abilities, uh, which I'm not going to go over. Uh, you know, because it just takes up a lot of time and, and territories as well. Uh, I will say, yeah, I'm really, I really, really like all of those things. They feel very, very thematic, very uh, on point for the storm, uh, storm, stormcast tunnel. So, I really encourage you to uh, check that out if you can. Um, we talked about it a little bit already, but it is amazing. It, it is such a cool campaign to help a player forge a narrative. Um, it is for me the definition of doing that. Like we've just talked about, is you you get to pick exactly the traits you get to make your own thing it's like you can't really do this at the moment anywhere else in age of sigmar and so i think it's um i just think it's brilliant and again even the build a storm host and the reforging process uh that you're not actually going to lose heroes um but you might lose parts of your heroes narratively and what does that mean and i think that's for me one of the most interesting parts about the stormcast eternals as a faction is you know Sure, you can constantly throw them and throw them and throw them against walls and problems and chaos. Um, and, you know, they kind of come back and you're like, oh, well, how, how is that fair? But I love within the narrative that it's like they begin to lose themselves. They begin to lose yeah. parts of who they are. And that is such a compelling uh, story to tell. And so it's great that you get the chance to do that, uh, you know, with your own army. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will point out as like a, before we move on the like you know the, a one cool little thing else to mention on here is I actually um, really like their veteran abilities. Of course, it just closed the. Here we go. Yeah, mm-hmm. we like their veteran abilities mainly because in some of the later battle tomes, they are uh, very specifically only X unit can take yeah. this veteran ability, which I get why some of the design works that way, but it ends up feeling like 
Uh, well, once, you know, I, I think of chaos, for example, like, you know, a, a Mark of Corn unit, uh, you know, it's like, well, once they become a veteran unit, all of your Mark of Corn veteran units will be the same or they'll have the same, um, you know, they'll have the same uh, veteran ability. And so, again, it tampers down a little bit on that creating something that feels like your own. Uh, yeah, so man. what I like about the Stormcast is that, um, like a lot of the earlier ones, you can... Um, attach them to uh, almost any unit. There is one that's specifically for Redeemer units, which is basically your non-judicator uh, native battle line uh, units. So your, um, uh, God, your vanquishes, that kind of thing. Um, but the one I really like is the first one, which is called a step ahead. Um, and basically what this does is uh, this unit can use this veteran ability once per battle at the start of the first hero phase in the first battle round. This unit can make a normal move of up to six inches. What I love about that is like it really kind of gives this cool scouting vibe uh, to a Stormcast, like, you know, your veterans that, you know, you deploy, your opponent deploys, and then before anything else happens, you can kind of like make a sprint towards an objective where you can make a sprint towards cover. I just, it adds a lot of dynamics to the battle, and I think it's just a fun little like bit of positioning and, and fun things. So anyway, totally. that is the Stormcast uh any comments you guys have on that or thoughts or anything before i move on to fire slayers um no just to reiterate how much like just in looking back on it i really enjoyed the stormcast path to glory system mm -hmm. um because like, i played a few armies since then it's like wow they really had a lot of really cool things going on that i felt yeah. like should have and hopefully could be expanded with new and later books with the customization with the yeah. freedom to choose more faction specific veteran abilities because like right now i have i'm trying to figure out what to do with my chaos knights where it's yeah. like cool i get my one undivided one and right. then i go pick a generic one which yep. they're not bad but it's like right. i was hoping for some more chaos flavor yeah yeah totally well speaking of things that could be extrapolated and moved to all <laughs> uh, all Path to Glory uh, forces. Uh, honestly, the reason I'm doing these two together is because I the Fire Slayers also have a couple of mechanics that I think work would work really, really well for any Path to Glory campaign. And again, add just a little bit extra of uh, um, flavor, you know, stuff that you're doing to it. So, well, let's get into the Fire Slayers. So. Basically, their Path to Glory adds a whole new minigame, which is lovely. Uh, it adds mercenary contracts, and it adds your Magma Hold roster. Uh, and this is another Path to Glory that I put in the notes. Again, as far as I know, and I haven't caught up with all of the most recent releases for Path to Glory stuff, but it is the, it's the only campaign that actually gives you a new sheet to add to your, uh, you know, your order of battle and all of your other stuff. So you actually get, as part of it, it's printed in the book, <laughs> Uh, is your um, your magma hold? Uh, hang on, let me turn to the little thing. Yeah. Hang on, where are you? It's always further away than I think it is. Uh, yeah, your magma hold roster, um, which is kind of like we already do a lot of um, terrain management and kind of a little bit of base building within the sort of core path to glory system stuff. But the magma hold roster is another just really fun uh, faction specific thing where you know you get to name it. Uh, you have a rune father name, the favored rune son, and then you keep track of the things that the, path, the uh, Fire Slayers Path to Glory campaign yeah. cares about. Um, which, particularly, as I mentioned already, is mercenary contracts. Within that is your reputation level and your gold, which is brilliant. Uh, so the way these work, right. 
they're fantastic. The way these work, um, there's a whole bunch of like little things that gold can do, including give you bonus renown points, depending on how much you have in your vaults and your coffers, which we won't get into properly. Um, but I wanted to briefly touch on uh, how mercenary contracts work and then what you can actually do with all the gold that you're going to earn. So mercenary contracts, um, you are going to roll 2d6. Uh, this is, I believe this happens in step, yes, in step seven. Uh, and you're going to randomly deter- the golden step for path. It really is. It's the like yeah. really cool add stuff in, happening in step seven. Because that's your your fungal bruise for gits is in yep. step seven, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's, the, it's it's where the magic happens. Yeah. Um, so this is actually going to have you roll a dice, uh, depending on the number. And again, it's listed on the tables in the book. You're either going to get a chaos, destruction, death, or order uh, paymaster who approaches your magma hold and says, "Hey, I have a contract. If you're interested." Um, you, this is, this for me is like my favorite part because before you even get to like the details of the contract, which you're going to roll for, you actually roll for the name and title of the paymaster, which I think is just brilliant. And there's a roll table for order. There's a roll table for chaos, death and destruction. So for example, order, you might, uh, roll Lord Hagen of the six cities, uh, chaos. It might be Bulgarics, the dark Lord. Uh, Mordecai, the Overlord. So there's just these fun little tables that, like, it's the, again the only campaign I'm aware of that's kind of adding NPCs, if you like, like named NPCs into your uh, your actual path to, to glory campaign, which I think is just brilliant. Um, so once you have that, and again, it the campaign doesn't need that part to function. You could take the right. name thing out and just be like, name your paymaster or not even do that. Um, but I love that they just added that little bit extra flavor where we get to roll, we get to like find these fun names. It's just a great time. Yeah. So can you and can you read those names again? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the exact same ones or would you like me to do different ones? So there are four, right? So there's Hagen, Mordecai, Morcar. No. So I was actually kind of, there are four tables each that have... Yeah. So basically you roll a D6 and then order right. has six names and six titles. And then death has six names, six titles right. and so on so and so forth. Based on what you said, I looked it up. Yeah. Uh, so Mordecai, right? Is the name you said? Uh, yeah. uh, yes. Mordecai is from death. Yes. Well, uh, there's also in a Warhammer fantasy, Morcar, who was known as Morcar mm-hmm. the Uniter, the first ever chosen of chaos undivided. Oh, Hagen, yeah. Hagen Odissero who is a Bretonian knight. He was a close companion of Alain Leoncourt. So I wonder if that's where these names I are I wonder from. how many of these names are Easter eggs from the old world. Yeah. Well, oh, and that is it, fantastic. Another fun thing, because I'm looking at the tables myself, is like you have your order table, chaos table, death and destruction. But it doesn't say this in the book. But if you were doing Flesh Eater Courts, you could split Order and yeah. Death. Mm-hmm. So you could go with Duke Armand von Graust, and then suddenly yes. it's your Flesh Eater Court Lord. Absolutely. Yeah, I well, think that's the... Oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. The other thing is that there used to be a character in Warhammer Fantasy Battles called the Paymaster, and he was from yep. the Dogs of War army. And oh, they could be basically mm-hmm. anything, right? Like they literally had undead units, they had order units, they had some chaos units. They were your mercenaries, so, right? The, yeah, the dogs exactly. Yeah. So I'm imagining that you just have this paymaster who's just like scouting out all these contracts for you, and he's like, "All right, it's fine. You're just you'll work for the chaos gods in this one, but next yep. time we're gonna do order. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll balance it yep. out. And we'll make it work, right?" 
Oh, yeah. it's brilliant. Wow. So that's depth to the table. Yeah. That I hadn't even, yeah, there you go. That is, that's so fun. I really want to go and research all those names now. I love that. I love when they put little, little Easter eggs in like that. It's just the coolest. Um, uh, another fun thing with it, mm. um, with the paymaster is like, you have to roll 2d6 to even figure out which grand alliance you're going yes. with. Yes. And it's, you add your reputation of your paymaster. Oh, I missed that part. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You add, uh, you add your reputation score to the roll. And with chaos, it's a two or less on 2d6. Yes. So very statistically unlikely that you're going to be getting chaos. Unless, which fits the narrative I'm, unless. I'm so glad you talked about that because we're going to get into what the actual paymaster allegiance and yeah. the party is going to do. So mm. you mentioned the reputation score, Will. It starts at zero in your, in your uh, Path to Glory Fire Slayers campaign, mm-hmm. but it can go up and it can also go down past zero. It's actually possible to go into negative Ooh. numbers. And so it actually means that if you are cultivating a, uh, a negative reputation, um, you are more likely to be hired by chaos the order and, and like the other factions are less likely to deal with you because you've proven that like, oh, well, if you work for chaos quite a lot and you have a low reputation, oh, I don't think we can trust this, uh, you know, this, uh, this hold to actually be honorable, uphold, you know, the contract kind of deal. Yeah. So again, even narratively, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It starts out as like, you kind of, you know, not a generic hold, but sort of an unproven, untested hold. Yeah. Um, and then it's up to you. Do I, increase my reputation or do I allow it to go down? Um, and sort of the reasons you would do that is on the next page, which is your paymaster allegiance. So again, based on whether your paymaster is order, chaos, death, or destruction, you're going to roll another D six and that will give you one of six different, um, quarries. Yeah. Is what it calls it. Uh, and each quarry is basically going to say, okay, you need to hunt this grand Alliance. So a faction that belongs to uh, a certain grand Alliance. Your reward is going to be this amount of gold for doing so. Uh, and your reputation is also going to go up or down based on the stated things. So generally, again, I won't go over it because it's like, you know, six for each of the, the um, major uh, right. uh, grand alliances. Um, but essentially it is if you are working for order, you're more likely to get positive reputation, but they tend to be the worst paying uh, paymasters versus chaos which tend to be the highest paying paymasters but they also gain you the like uh most amount of negative reputation so to put it into perspective for you the highest amount of reputation you can get is if an order paymaster hires you to hunt a chaos quarry you get plus three reputation that's the highest you can get in one go in terms of lowest if you are hired by a chaos paymaster to hunt an order quarry uh, you know, so they hire you to go and hunt down, you know, some Lumineth or Cities of Sigmar, uh, you get minus five reputation. So you can see how it starts to drop pretty quickly. But that same quarry also earns you the most amount of gold. So the most amount of gold you can get is from that same one, Chaos, uh, hiring you to fight order. You get 3d6 times 1,000 gold. So mm-hmm. very, very, very lucrative contract. You're going to earn a lot of money from it uh, versus that order one we talked about or... Um, before which order tends to give its lowest ones are d3 times 1000 gold so we're talking the difference between a 3000 gold a possible you know 1000 to 18000 at their min and max in terms of the contract you're accepting 
So it's really cool. Again, you're kind of playing this mini game within it of, well, I kind of need a little bit more gold right now. So maybe I'll be slightly, you know, less scrupulous, but I'm acknowledging that I'm going to take a hit to my reputation if I do so. So that's so interesting that order doesn't pay as well. I feel like you should be able to haggle with them. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you might be wondering at this point, hey, what does is, what is positive or negative reputation do? What does gold do? Well, we'll get onto mm-hmm. both of those right now because the effects of reputation. So basically, um, your positive reputation, if it is, oh, sorry, I'm just double checking there. So I'm going to make a joke and then I'm going to make a serious Please point. Please do. So where is Scrooge McDuck for the Fire Slayers? This is a real question, right? We're talking about all this gold. We're talking about all this treasury, right? Like, where is the Scrooge McDuck character? But the honest answer is, no, literally, where is he? Because Fire Slayers don't care about gold. They care about Urgold. Yes. Where is the character in the background whose job it is to figure out which gold is gold and which gold is Urgold? I like that I know that it's mentioned in the background, right? that yeah. some of the rune priests can actually sniff out the difference between the two. But while the table is going on and on about getting all this different gold and like building up your treasury, right? The actual gold is to the goal, not gold, the goal, gold, right. the goal, gold, or the gold, goal. Either yeah, the, goal, goal. Um, yeah. it, the point is to actually gain more bits and essence of yes. their God Grimnir, Grimnir. by yeah. collecting these different pieces of gold. Yep. And so where is the character who is the coin counter? Where is the, the person that swims yeah. Yeah. in the gold? Where, yeah, like, <laughs> where is this character? To me, this is like, this is an obvious, like, you know, almost a gambit character. Instead of throwing cards, just whipping yeah. gold at people because it's useless yeah, to them, totally. right? Yes, this exactly. Not We've Urgle, extracted, right? Yep. Yep, we've extracted the Urgle where, from Where is the accountant, all right? Exactly. We need more accountants in the mortal realms. And this is the actual, <laughs> real, lore reason as to why they should exist, all right? Absolutely. We need the IRS, but it's like for fire slayers. <laughs> it's truly the fire slayers equivalent of the Caradron um, model we were just talking about, right? Yeah. Like it's the, yeah. Yeah, fire slayers, but they wear suits, right? Yes. You know, instead of wearing just loincloths, they actually wear suits. They might have some they nice have sunglasses. Who knows? Yeah, well... I love because sometimes when they take contracts, they'll be paid in what the person promised was Urgold. Yeah. And then it turns out it's a lump of worthless nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But that worthless nothing is the resource in this path to glory. So I envision yes. that the fire slayers are like, hey, is this a landfill? We've got like 20,000 gold to get rid of. Yep. And the people there are like, yeah, we'll give That's you this super that. cool sword yeah. if you give us exactly. that gold. And they're like fine i guess like Ugh, just get whatever, this off our hands so. yeah i love it so much so the the, the what I, I have re re-educated myself now on how the reputation yeah. system works which yeah. is basically only when you're haggling only when you're dealing with an order pay master because the book says that uh any other uh faction uh is not going to actually uh uh put up with you trying to haggle them uh right. with audit you roll a dice you roll 1d6 and then you add your reputation score to that number unless it's a one in which case you subtract it um and based on the number uh the result that you get again there's a little table in the book you get an, uh, a set amount of bonus gold so that again is uh very cool very thematic that you're kind of like usually on a better footing with other people in the order um grand alliance and so you're kind of doing that there the negative reputation score is really interesting if it's minus 10 or below 
Any exploration roles that correspond to the ancient roads territory, which would normally allow you to increase the number of allies that you can field, mm-hmm. uh, are treated as barren wastes instead, which are, you cannot control this territory. Um, so you're essentially, you are, uh, you're burning a lot of your like goodwill with people uh, that you could potentially ally with. And in fact, what does it say here? Uh, if it's still minus 10 or left after it's been modified by the amount uh, specified for the contract, you must roll a dice for each allied unit on your order of battle. On a one, that unit deserts you and you must remove it from your order of battle. And you can no longer add any new allied uh, uh, units to your order of battle if you're still below minus 10. So again, that thematic thing of they're like, I don't know if we want to keep doing this. These poor handgunners that are just like, guys, this is not what we signed up for. Yeah. Well, and I love like how it narratively plays even more now that regiments of renown are out. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. We're like, listen, dude, we have a like we're a known name. Yep. We have a reputation. Yep. Do you we're know I am? Go somewhere. Yeah. Do you know who I, I am? I don't know if you know this, but I'm gonna have a big deal. <laughs> we can't have our 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 brand, our IP tied with this toxic personality. So yep. unfortunately, we're gonna have to part ways. That's so 100% it. what I would love to do this as an actual army is, is to intentionally pair like an order regiment as part of my allies and part of my army and then watch them lose confidence as you like, you have to lose that army with those veteran abilities, right? And maybe they even start their own force and then you have Ooh. to fight that force as they come into complete conflict with the way that you are talking, right? Yeah. So in addition to the reputation, you're probably wondering, hey, what do I spend all of that gold on that I'm making? I am. Wondering, what do I spend all that gold that I'm building my reputation on? This is why we're such a good team. We're just, we we finish each other's, um, you know, sandwiches. Sandwiches. Yes. Ow. Look at us. See? (laughs) Truly, though. (laughs) That is so good. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, yes, your gold. If you, um, basically, this this is where we get into... uh, 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 Mortal Realms Economics 101. Uh, welcome. You didn't know that that was going to be part of it. Uh, if you uh, leave your gold in your treasury and you allow it to accrue value and accru- accrue uh, you know, interest, you will actually gain bonus renown points if you just let it sit there. So at the end of your uh, Path to Glory battles, you can do that. Or you can spend it in a number of ways. I'm going to go over these very quickly. Basically, one of them is you can hold a Guzfest, which sounds like the best Oktoberfest you've ever had in your whole life. Um, which is there a beer? Uh, God, I hope so. On the eve of battle, <laughs> you hold a ghost fest. Yes, Magmalt Ale flows freely this okay, night fair. as war songs are sung and Then I'm all in. Then I'm then all in. Yeah, exactly. We're good. <laughs> it's like it's actually like a, a guided meditation, weirdly. <laughs> like the name just doesn't fit with it at all. Um, and that will affect the uh, bravery of your unit, so they will go up naturally. Um, a little bit of. Uh, what in the UK we would call Dutch courage. I don't know if what you call it in the, the US. <laughs> Liquid I don't courage. know why Dutch. Liquid yeah. courage. <laughs> Liquid courage. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's delve beneath the mountain, which um, allows you for 10,000 gold to actually, instead of just rolling on the territories table at the end, so where you would roll 2d6 uh, and you might get one of the um, kind of bog standard ones, or if you roll a 61 or a 66, you get to explore the uh, faction-specific territories. This actually lets you just go straight to that table. And so you count uh, the 60 as is, and then you roll the dice to see which of the like 61 or 66 you actually get. So that's nice. You actually get to use your goal to say, hey, I really want to control one of these faction-specific ones, and I can go straight there. 
The last one is you can just straight up buy an artifact of power and add it to your vault for 20,000 gold, which I love. I think that's so cool. It's like another way of accruing, you know, you're kind of working up to that. You, you might have a quest going, you might have some other things going, and you're also saving up for, you know, an artifact. Does it have so, to be from your battle tome? It says you can immediately add one artifact of power to your vault. So I'm assuming that it would either have to be your battle tome or from the core book. But I am also down, as I'm sure you guys are, because narrative. I'm like, you know, you should just add any... I think you can, you you know, the world's your oyster. The mortal worms is your oyster. I think you can go add an Ideneth one if you want. I mean, no. that would be fun. And that'd be a great story. It'd be very fun. I, so uh, I'm totally interrupting you, but. No, 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 you're good. That's basically it. We're done. All right, cool. So going back to the idea of having a Fire Slayer's Path to Glory. Yes. This all sounds amazing. And I think it's genuinely fascinating and interesting and, and a great way of running a Path to Glory system for Fire Slayers. Yep. Yes. The thing that immediately goes into my head, though, is I what I want to do is I want to use Realm of Plastic Name Generator yes. to come up with like oh my gosh eighteen different names for Fire yeah. Slayers, Ooh. and then I want to watch them die. Right, like you have the Rune Father, oh. and then he dies, and then his Rune yep. Son, and then he yep. dies, and then his Rune. Like I want yep. to build up this book of grudges. Absolutely. based on who has killed which character. Right. Yep. So every time your character dies in battle. Instead of rolling to see if he survives, you just add the hero of the army that you faced to that yep. book of grudges, and then you get a plus one, or you know, like you know, <laughs> like something stupid and simple, but like to be able to allow you to eventually do that. And then I'm imagining this epic saga over like a hundred yep. years. Say if I'm playing against Will, yep. I eventually get enough bonuses that I'm able to beat that one warlord. And yes. it took seven generations, I but it. I did yeah. it right. And like, <laughs> and that's it. the path to glory story. Is like, you know, yeah. I sent the rune father and six rune sons, and eventually, yes. I was able to take him down. Right, we did it, and I, I can scratch out that one. Fantastic. But I've earned how many more grudges since that point? On the right. Way. To that me, that's so like cool. awesome immediate narrative. I'm yeah. so glad you mentioned that too, because I, I was, I was, uh, you know, in a, I was like, oh, we've done a move on, but I actually do want to mention one of their quests just as a little special yeah. thing, because it is exactly what you've just, or not, not quite exactly, because um, I think, I, you know what, I'm like, I also think that at some point, I'm just signing us up for more work here, development work, but I think it would be really cool to to do like, um, an alternate path to glory campaign for each faction that we kind of come up with and say hey like maybe it's a little bit more specific that uses some of the other traits and stuff i have a couple of ideas maybe maybe we'll okay. we'll release that um uh if it if it if it ends up happening it was my idea if not it was definitely <laughs> so you, you can blame them um the quest though is settle a grudge which is brilliant so you can only pick this quest after a battle in which your opponent won a major victory Make a note of your opponent's name and the faction of their <laughs> army in your quest log. You're literally writing their name in your book of grudges. Yep. At the end of a Path to Glory battle, you complete this quest if you won a major victory and your opponent's army was from the same Grand Alliance as the faction written in your quest log. So as a base, say this is one person you've played at a con uh, and you do, you know, major victory, you're never going to play that person again. Um, this allows you to, uh, at bare minimum, say if it was an OC Arc Force, uh, and you fight against, um, you know, Soul Blight later on, you're still going to be able to, like, finish this quest. It's not going to be stuck. However, the bit that it gets really fun as is the rewards. So when you complete this quest, if your opponent's army was from the same Grand Alliance as the faction written in your quest log, you earn D6 glory points, which is pretty good. 
If the faction was the same, you earn 2d6 glory points instead. And if both the faction and your opponent were the same, you earn 3d6 glory points. So it kind of represents this like how like how much you're actually fulfilling the grudge is how much glory you're going to get, which I just think is brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. And yeah. I like the idea that like it completes the quest if it's the same Grand Alliance. So like yes. there's someone, there's like a grudge, there's a grudge judge who's like, <laughs> That's the name of the character we were talking yeah, about before. The grudge, the grudge judge. judge. Yes, exactly. Here come the grudge judge. <laughs> and, yeah. Judge grudge and the, the grudge judge. Yeah. yeah. And like the grudge, <laughs> the grudge judge. He's just in there, like, I yeah, close enough. We'll call it good. Yeah, it's like, well, they were also skeletons. Yeah, well, that'll do, lad. All right, he'll, he'll, he'll put an asterisk on it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I'm just imagining a 70s funk fire slayers band. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> the judge, the oh, grudge man. judges. The grudge <laughs> judges. I mean, it's super sweet. So, but yeah. um, speaking Incredible. of which, you said you yes. finished the fire slayers, right? Yes, that we're done. Yes, we're actually done. This is actually a great way to transition into the next thing we're going to talk about, which yes. is Gibbling Dome. Uh, because uh, you're talking about how we have this grudge and we've set up this rival that we're trying yep. to fight against. And um, that is exactly what we did for Gibbering Dome again this year. So, uh, Will, Fantastic. why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, start yeah. talking about uh, the Adepticon event that we just ran. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who couldn't attend or didn't know since we didn't talk about it in the previous episode. <laughs> uh, uh, Paul and I ran the Gibbering Dome again this year at Adepticon. And it's a Path to Glory event that we ran. Uh, three games, one day. And we used the like the core rules for Path to Glory with just like a few modifications to make it a little bit easier to do in a single day setting. But... Yeah. The things that we did to really like make it our own event, as Paul was mentioning, is things like rivalries and teams. Very cool. Um, so throughout this event, we had two teams, and these teams would dictate the continuing story for the Gibbering Dome. Brilliant. Uh, to catch everyone up on the story, last year uh, we had Paul's character who had created a settlement inside the Gibbering Dome, which is this giant archival trove of knowledge hidden away from the rest of the realms i put and, uh, in the notes uh listeners if you would like a refresher or you didn't listen to season one if you go back and yeah. listen to episode six paul talks all about the uh the nature of the gibbering dome how it was created mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff so you can go and find a full uh, account of it there you can also go to the mortalrealms.com where we have uh write-ups from past years with a bit more reading instead of listening if that's more your thing yeah um, I, I i did write a, a massive amount of lore at one point when i was like oh this will be fun and now fantastic. every time i'm like oh i have to actually go through and reread that and be like what has changed because the narrative <laughs> moves forward and i'm like yep how do yep. i have this how do i do that right so but yeah anyway go yep. back to will uh so last year uh he had the settlement and they were mining the the null stone yes um and my team was representing someone who didn't like that. He was a little bit more chaotic. Fun fact. Um, his name was Kaldor, which is the name of my current warlord for my mm -hmm. Slaves of Darkness army. Yeah. Um, and he 
sort of undid the tethering and set the dome spinning free off into the realms, which is mm. where we caught up to Completely this. Completely defeating Brobe, yeah. who was just minding his own business, <laughs> trying to set up this well, whole corrupt system of settlement. <laughs> that's the issue, though. He had someone else mining his business, so... Yeah, because he didn't want to mine it because then he would forget everything. And then how would he remember where his money is? Right? Like, this is the real problem that we're going into here. Um, So this year, we we find the dome spinning through the realms, and it was currently over Akshi. Mm. And there were two new factions. Mm. Uh, My faction was uh, Zagran Hexwell, who was a member of the Collegiate Arcane, who wanted to stabilize the dome because he feared there would be a disaster. Mm. Also, if he stabilized it and controlled who went in and out, he could control the knowledge. But that he was doing completely it for everybody. He's a completely oh, altruistic Hadn't character. even yeah. thought about that. Yeah, hadn't even no, thought about it. Not at all. Whereas uh, my character was Spizzit, who was a spider fan grot, who excellent. wanted it to keep spinning because he had realized that if it kept spinning, it would create this web that would connect oh. all of the realms together mm-hmm. and then he would be in control of it and the webs would actually start the collapse of the mortal realms and you know the everdank would be brought in through the spider thing themselves so what's not to yeah. love there yeah it's perfect yeah um so the morning of the event we split everyone into two teams cool and then we also had them pair off against the rival um yeah. and the so way i want to quit you off will here quick just because not that you're doing anything wrong, but this is one of my favorite moments of all Adepticon. Yes. So, so you take it. Um, so we had everybody show up, right? And we're talking to them about what's going on. And then we we kind of did a whole introduction of what Path of Glory is. Because a lot of players haven't played Path of Glory before. Sure. And it's a fundamental part of running this event is that you have yeah. a system that allows you to move everything forward. Yep. And so we spent about half an hour between Will and I just standing on a chair and explaining to everybody how the rules work because it's such a fundamental way yes. that this, the event runs and then explaining how we had kind of added on a couple of special rules so that players didn't feel cheated that they didn't understand oh i actually have to like do this thing in order to make my units get better i right. have to do this thing right um yeah, that, and... that would be a real feels bad if, if exactly you got halfway through the event and didn't realize yeah so we, we spent a half an hour explaining all these things and then we split players into two sides Yep. One of them was on Spizzit's side. One of them was on Will's side. Again, your character name is? Zagran Hexwell. Correct. Right, because it was part of your name. <laughs> Which <laughs> wasn't spurring moment at all, I swear. We had we had spent a lot of time actually trying to work this right. out. Wink, wink. Did not pull up Realm of Plastic the morning of yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We always do. Um, so uh, we split players to the opposite sides, and then <laughs> I was a bit cheeky and was like, all right, you... This side, turn around. This side, kind of do a polka and like mess around and just get in a completely different position than you were before. And then we had players count off randomly. So they had no idea who they were playing against. They weren't lining up against a specific opponent. Right. Just because we knew that we had some players that knew each other. And and if you wanted to play against your rival, that's fine. And if you ended up against that person, that's fine. But we didn't want people to try and pair off because... yeah. yeah. Who knows? Like, and you want to meet from... new people, right? Yeah, right. you don't yeah. want anybody to feel like there's a click forming somewhere else. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, and I knew one of the players was coming over from the UK, so oh, it's amazing. like, all right, we don't want to like pick favorites or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, um, so then we had them number off, and then that was their rival. Whatever, whoever had the same number on the opposite side of the table 
was their rival. And so that's the person they were playing against at the end of the game, at the end of the, I'm sorry, at the end of the event. And so they're building up their force to be able to fight them. So very much exactly the same as we played last year with a couple of small refinements that players had requested. And the moment when we say, all right, we're done talking, go and meet your rival and explain to each other your narrative and their narrative and figure out why you're fighting. And then you just have these, you know, these groups meet together and just get so excited telling other players about their narrative mm-hmm. for like really? 10, 15 minutes. Incredible. It's just my favorite moment of the con because you just see people that are in love with the movie, with the, not movies. You just see people that are in love <laughs> with their armies, in love with yep. their narrative, totally. being able to share that with other people who care to listen. Yes. And yes. It's a super simple thing. But it's so rewarding to see people be so excited about doing that. And like it's something Absolutely. that Will and I take for granted. We're constantly yeah. talking about narrative back and forth. Yeah, like right. I guess for him to be able to talk to other people. Mm-hmm. And so many people don't have that. And to pe- right. see people that enjoy that and be able to have that moment at Adepticon was just fantastic. So that That's was incredible. genuinely my favorite moment of all Adepticon is just watching that happen Amazing. and realizing, all right. I've done pretty much everything that I need to do for the day. Now I just get to sit and like maybe answer questions, but probably yeah. just like sit and read narrative for the rest of the day. And yeah, that's experience awesome. the story. Yeah. This is what I get to do for the day. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Moving on, go back to Will because he's much better at like actually talking about what's going on. I'm oh, just gosh. like getting excited. You did, I mean, you did a great job. I don't know what you. Yeah. No, that's definitely the, the most rewarding aspect of it. That's so cool. Um, yeah, so we we had three God, games, and throughout those three games, you were building, essentially you were building attrition, um, and then you were also trying to uh, empower, um, i trying to think of the right the term we use, but we you had special units that would get special abilities in your rival's battle. Mm. So the two games prior were trying to do your best to give those units the better abilities which were uh, i think we had them be ward saves yep and so you were constantly just like trying to designate different units that you were trying to highlight in different games so like you're almost Mm. building like sub narratives it's like well normally my warlord's going to be the focus but he's already got that unit keyword so now it's going to be his like bodyguard unit i'm going to go for them and, and things like that and at the end of the event, everyone was playing their rivals. And I'm trying to pinpoint some highlights of what like some folks had told me from their games. They're like, you could hear like excitement from games moving across the tables. Like totally. I'd get, I would be at one end of a row and then someone would tell me that like, oh yeah, did you hear this game that took place at the other end of a different row ended with both armies tabling each other. Incredible. <laughs> um which is fantastic, dude. Yes. He stabbed uh, a gargant that then collapsed onto him, killing him. No miles I left. Love that. Love that. <laughs> That's yeah. so great. Um, so, like, people were definitely sharing the love of the stories that were happening on the table, which was great That's that amazing. everyone, like, truly mm-hmm. embraced that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, at the end of the rival fights, uh, it we found out that while the people who wanted to stabilize the dome fought really hard and did pull out like wins and games, 
overall the dome was just sent careening right. and it actually crashed hit a mountain in Akshi and tore like a small chunk off so now that it's like continuously yeah. spinning through the realms things are just kind of spilling out of it interesting um so one of the cool things that will had told me um is he had mentioned that two of the players that were playing this year were actually in the soulbound campaign of one of the players from last year yes and you got that first person story so will why don't you explain that because that was one of the coolest stories of the weekend for me oh i'm sure yeah yeah so the person who won lord of the dome last year uh kamran he played a he played Zinch, and so it was a, a Lord of Change. And they right. were all in a Soulbound campaign together. And that Lord of Change was one of the like final it was like the final boss fight. Because like it's incredible. a huge, it's a greater demon of Zinch, like yep. of course it is in a Soulbound campaign. So yeah, two of the players were there. One of the person was actually the DM for that campaign, and his display board. Um, was the actual board that they used for that boss fight. That is so cool. Um, God, I, that is like the ultimate, like just the the pinnacle of like narrative yeah. play. Yes, incredible. Yeah, and they had both um, like written their narratives of like them coming like, oh, we heard he's still around. We need to end this. Yes. <laughs> type thing, uh, which was just great. And like, I have another friend who's like in that group. So I had like, seen pictures of this and i think at this point playing some of the people in holy havoc too mm. i think there's like one person in that soulbound campaign that i haven't met yet amazing so I'm just like I'm going like, down the for you. i'm gonna find yeah. you <laughs> tracking you down um and yeah that was super cool just like the fact that they uh tied it all in and kind of to that point um you know this isn't a competitive event it's not a match play event but we are fortunate enough to get award and prize support from Adepticon. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. So that's really cool. For like a bunch of prizes, which were things like a Lord of Change and things right. like other models. We don't know how to justify that. So we did the only true thing you can, which is put it into the hands of the dice gods. Yep. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, but we did actually have awards. Um and the way we did awards is there's no like quantifiable thing. You can't score sure. 90 out of a hundred narrative points. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, uh, there were three awards we gave out uh, essentially one for each team and then one overall. Uh, so for Paul's team, he got to hand out the void born realm Walker award. Brilliant. Uh, and that got handed out to Chris Henry, who is one of the guys from the Soulbound campaign. Oh, fantastic. Um, because he just like, there was like a really good story he wrote that was a mm. whole, just added on to it and was a big part of it. Uh, on my end, this really ties into the Fire Slayer campaign and talking right. about losing reputation enough. Um, it's the Action Lore Seeker, and it went to Jamie Cuddle because he did a phenomenal job of creating coronate fire slayers. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. The the conversions were on point. Oh, my God. He combined both, like, faction terrain pieces. So you've got the... Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the 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 dwarven furnace. So it almost just, like, was wearing the altar as a helmet. And, like, I've seen both of those pieces, 
but he did such a good job like you can't really tell where the seam is amazing it was really well done legitimately couldn't tell it it was amazing yeah like phenomenal and he would explain the process and i'm just like that's why (laughs) like there's yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so when you were going through the fire slayer review i was just like i going low reputation and going for chaos i've seen that army yeah that like that is exactly what yeah that's exactly it well and and the thing that i really appreciate it is that the way he had done it is that he had picked the faction the sub faction in the fire slayers army that Mm -hmm. typically had associated with chaos and then converted his army Mm -hmm. to match that right and it's those little things that to me really sell the narrative, right? Yes. It's like, all right, I've got an idea. I'm actually going to firmly place it within the mortal realms and then do mm-hmm. my spin on it. Right. It's so, so brilliant. Um, yeah. His narrative was awesome as well. Yeah. Uh, he had so, a, a custom icon on his dice tray for it and oh, made a amazing. t-shirt with it. Yes. Well, and he embraced the narrative for the dome because we needed even teams and, to balance the teams out, he was on the team to stabilize the dome. And he's like, well, so we have a contract. Push comes to shove, I will betray you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's, I'm yeah. like, done. <laughs> like, yeah, fair enough. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and that was great. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I love that too, like you were saying, Paul, about the, the um, when it, it takes an established piece of law that's, mm-hmm. that's in the multiple realms and then making your own spin on it because it has that brilliant effect of everybody else kind of understands then how to interact with that faction too, right? Mm -hmm. Like it it gives you this automatic way because it's already a part of it that like you can very easily think about and think like, oh, well, yeah, how would my faction deal with these? You know, I've read it in the book and oh my God, they're here right now. And like, it's so genius. It's so good. Yeah, Mm. it was really well done. Um, And then the final award was Lord of the Dome. Uh, and this we gave to uh, Tyler Mangle of mm-hmm. Mangle Miniatures. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, he had a really good narrative for his army. He like had painted it all for this event. Incredible. And part of it was that he had a called shot of his... He had a printed out contract between the Ogres and the Collegiate Arcane. Yeah, amazing. And we hadn't published what the teams were. So he's just <laughs> like, it's got to be the Collegiate Arcane, right? <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, yeah. the cool shot. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it wow. was super fun, Like, especially hearing people when they found the rivals. I think he was one of them where it was two guys who were like, oh, we're both ogres. Well, we're going to see who's going to eat the other. <laughs> like, yeah. who, who has the biggest mouth? Like, who is the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was, it was super great. Uh, all three games, I think everyone had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul had we sort of mentioned this leading up to it. We had an odd number of players yeah. at the beginning. So we actually were going to play the ringer team. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Um, so I ended up playing a game as Spizzit, but fighting for my team because the way the numbers worked out, <laughs> but then uh, one player had to leave. They had like something else going on. And mm-hmm. so it balanced out. So then Paul never got to play the second game which was a little so, disappointed to be honest i was like oh i get to play today uh, 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 oh no yeah and then, oh, 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 i just oh, get no. to sit and listen to awesome narrative okay i guess that's <laughs> fine like I, I will appreciate that as well that's a good but because one of the things that we always do during the gibbering dome is we we don't require a narrative to play 
but we yeah. request a narrative, right? Mm, and yeah, so we've totally. got all these different narratives. And so mm-hmm. I got to spend like an hour just reading everybody's narrative, Amazing. which is awesome. Like, it, it, you know, it, it's very rewarding for me to be able to see people putting an effort in to yeah. incorporate yeah. their army into the background that we've set up. Um, but it's also just like, it's fun to then be like, okay, now I'm going to go see what full painted force corresponds yes. to this writing totally. that I have just yeah. read, right? Because you don't really get that experience, especially not on a personal level, anywhere else right. in the game, right? right? You can get a description of what a sub-faction is in a battle town, yes. but like to actually be able to read somebody's description of what their army is and why it's doing yep. what it's doing, and then to go and look at their army as they're playing mm-hmm. a game, you just don't get that. Totally. Yeah. And it was an interesting experience because we had the names of their like warlord and their stories. We had the painted armies and then we had stickers that had like the warlord's name on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got to an awkward point where I knew the warlord's name more than the player's name. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's uh, um, Lord. Is your name Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's like, like I, I know to look for you because the story and your war, you're wearing the warlord name tag. I see your army. I know who you are. Yeah. yeah. I think your name is Kevin. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, even just to say like, Paul, you, you were saying the idea of uh, like nowhere else in, in the kind of game and story, do you get to, you know, read about somebody in the law and then go and like, you might be able to read about Archaeon and then, you know, go and find an Archaeon painted up at the store and be like, yeah, but, you know, tens of thousands of people worldwide have got this archaeon versus yep. reading about this bespoke lore and being like, and now I'm going to go see the character in this story, the one of that exists in this whole thing in the world yeah. over there. Like, what a cool personal, like, battle tome lore thing that you're reading. Exactly. Yeah. No, and that must be so rewarding for you, Paul, because uh, and for both of you, because this, I, I know yeah, you talked about it in the previous episode. It is such a it takes such a lot of work and you, you know, obviously I know you talk about, you can hear how much fun you have and how much you get out of it, but that is still like how amazing to, to kind of go all out for this and then have people respond totally in kind and just be so up for it as well. And yeah, that must just be the best feeling. Yeah, no, it, it's amazing. That is so, so cool. And this is the fourth year you've done it. This is the fourth time. Uh, for this Gibbering is Dome? actually, yes, yeah, the fourth Gibbering Dome, but it's over the course of six years because of COVID. So Yes, totally. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That is well, brilliant. That is technically it's the fifth one, but we didn't do it the gibbering dome to begin with because that was the first coalescence event, which is what mm. what started everything. So yeah. Got you. Yes. That's brilliant. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I had a couple uh, yeah, I had like written down a couple of questions before we started. You I got to most of them just in the in the thing, which is awesome. I would love yeah. to know like um you know, so you talked a little, little bit about like the narrative and how that progressed. How was it like logistically different from last year? Were the, did you, how many, was it the same amount of people? Was it kind of the same deal? Uh, and yeah, like what was different that you kind of did this year, if anything? So um, the big thing is um, that we did have more people than last year, which was awesome. Um, yeah. We also changed the format a little bit. And I think we're going to change it a little bit next year too. Uh, so last year it was two versus two for all the games. And so we'd actually yeah. had everybody on four tables, which was awesome to be able to watch everybody share their narrative together. Yes. One of the pieces of feedback we got was that everybody wanted the rivals game, at least to be a one V one game. Yeah. 
Hugs and one of the things that we had noticed is that the 2v2 games were just taking a long time. Yeah. Uh, so this year I gave the option of doing 1v1 or 2v2 for the first game. And the 2v2 games still took quite a while. So I think next year we're just going to do 1v1 from beginning Absolutely. to end. Yes. Um, and it was, we had a, um, we had a Sons of Bayamat army that came, which was awesome. But then we also had yeah. an army that had like 40 wolves. And yeah, right. Players, so they kept racing yeah. them back. So we had super quick games and we had super long games. Yes. And, and that's more of just like an artifact of where the system is right now. And and it's great. Uh, but it just meant that we we had different times. And so uh I think next year it's just gonna be one v one like it was before. Yep. One of the that's other things funny. we did is we printed in the pack that we're not using the match play rules. And I think oh, that was cool. a lot clearer mm-hmm. than last year because last year yeah. I had put we're doing the narrative play pack. But people didn't mm. realize that that excluded the match play pack from being right. used as well. Um, so we were just a little bit more clear about that. Uh, but because of that, also, there was just a lot more tables and a lot more games yeah. to watch. Yes. Um, so so that was that was super fun. Will, what did you notice um, that was different or that we had chosen um, differently? Those like those are the main changes that we had done. I mean, because we were doing those changes, we kept a lot of like the rest of the event yeah rules the same um because that's what we were familiar with and you don't want to like overhaul everything if it's working right (laughs) like it wasn't broke so we were adapting instead of like full-on fixing yeah there are like since he had brought up the 40 wolves thing there was like steve wren had just put out like a at a thousand rule um like things things to do when you're playing at a thousand points i'm like oh maybe we can do that for next year that oh, might very cool. help yes. speed it up a little because it's like, oh yeah, summoning is imbalanced at a thousand points. Yes. Um, but overall, like I don't think there are very many changes that yeah. I would look at. If anything, changes moving forward would be more like, well, what would be fun to do? Like what would, totally. what would we enjoy doing now that we've done it twice with yeah. these rules? Let's see what else we can do now that we know it works. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we incorporated last year and this year, um, was we put in void stone objectives, uh, mm. which is it's something to stop people from just bringing in a thousand point maximized match point list, which sure. means that you can't receive or give commands if you're on an objective. Period. Okay. Um, and I think for next year we might switch it up and like maybe use that in a more isolated opportunity or um, stuff like that. Just because yes. at this point now we've done it for two years and it and it's fun and it worked well and I, I think it yeah really accomplished what we were trying to go after yes Uh, but the the main thing was we were quadrupling the number of tables from last year Mm -hmm. wow um, for the max amount that we were going to have and so we ended up with uh, i think triple the number of tables which was again great and awesome to see all these people playing uh but because we were doing that much of a jump i didn't want to and will also didn't want to make massive changes to the format because the format totally. had gotten really good feedback last year. So yeah. So now that we know that we've had a repeatable format that worked really well, then I think we can mess with it a little bit um, in yeah. the ways that we, that people have asked us to, right? Like, because we, that's the thing is the the awesome thing about the event is we, we put on all this work and we set up all this narrative and we invite people to come in but at the end of the day, you're just asking people to come in and mess with what you've already done. Yeah, right, and right. And recording the result and then trying to figure out how that makes things different moving forward. Yes. Right. 
so um this event successfully accomplished exactly that thing and and it was super fun to watch and engage in again and so maybe next year we'll be able to uh, will and i will be able to have a little bit more time messing with people yeah as we're doing hmm. that as well right now yeah, that we like know what works and how it works yeah. and what people have given us feedback on on how that's going to uh manage because i think that was the major discussion that will and i had this year was all right I've run this for four years. I started out having way too many custom rules and way yeah, too many sure. things. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, but this is my vision and this yes. is how I want it to work. And realizing I just needed to pare down that to accomplish mm. a good event yes. and then move forward from there. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and it's definitely an interesting thing, like even thinking outside of the dome, but like uh, people who run narrative events past the span of a single edition Mm-hmm. always have to think about like how do i adapt my event for yeah, the new edition and that's huge uh, paul's answer was to go to well they gave us a narrative system let's work on that yeah um and i think a lot of other people are, like from what i'm hearing is like they also sort of pared down a little bit because mm. there is already more narrative framework in what games workshop is giving you instead of just like totally they're giving you rules and then you had, you need to figure it out yes yeah yeah you're trying to tell the story in between the rules it's like the rules themselves are giving a lot of narrative uh you know impetus or prompts to begin with yeah uh, incredible this this kind of i just think is amazing i i've seen a little bit on the the discord uh paul i think you posted some of those uh the uh the law you know, uh, one-page things that people had uh, had yeah. for the event, and yeah. haven't had to, haven't been able to read through them all yet. But you know, you can tell that, like, yeah, some people have like aged them up, or like, you know, designed them in certain ways, and they've themed that as part of their army mm-hmm. as well. Which again is just like, you know, where where else do you get to do this kind of thing? You know, I, I think right. about tabletop role playing, but you know, a lot of times it's like you're usually the DM is the one doing that, and so I just think an event like this where you can have X number of players who are all just getting to just participate in the joy of creating for creating sake and storytelling sake is just so awesome and so human. I love it so much. Yeah. Which is why my favorite thing was when you had these two people come together that have never met before and just be so excited to share their narrative with other people. Right. God. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. That is so, so cool. Um, I think, honestly, I think we've covered like, yeah, every possible question I had about, you know, kind of the gibbering dome. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I had a couple of questions about like, um, you know, like the, the the how you like go about planning this kind of thing. But I wonder actually if we maybe save that for another episode and we do a little bit of thing of, of like for folks who are yeah. wanting to maybe put on an event for them and their friend that they play with or their local gaming club or whatever that uh, we can talk about. Hey, yeah. How do you go about designing like a narrative um, well, campaign for Age of Sigmar? And if people are really interested in that, even though we're not covering it right now, yeah, there is an actual uh, event pack posted on the mortal realms website Brilliant. for last year yep. using this rival system so if you're scared of being like I, I don't know what to do i don't know how to make it work right like at this point we've run it two years um and yeah. it's worked super well uh so i i mean not to toot my own horn but just to say hey if what you're looking for is a, a yeah. place to start to be able to run your own narrative you can just take that pack and run it and it'll work so yeah yeah, I mean, and I don't think it's tooting your own horn to say, hey, I've done five events and six years worth of development and playtesting on this, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, it is a proven system. It's it, it's worked and people enjoy it. And yeah. That's amazing. Ah, oh, so cool. Well, 
I I have never been to Adepticon. I'm really, really hoping to go next year. Um, and yeah, it just sounds like the absolute most fun. I would love to know a little bit about before we kind of move on and start to yeah. wrap up uh, some of like, I suppose, like your non-Dome Adepticon highlights. So um, <clears throat> did you have a like favorite non-Games Workshop thing that happened at Adepticon? Um, so technically it was non-Games Workshop, but it wasn't like an official Adepticon event. But um, so the Mortal Realms network is large. There's a lot. Yeah. Of um, and there, it's across so many different games that this Adepticon was the first time everyone was under the same roof. Because yeah. um, like last year, not everyone could make it. And then we've added like some new people in Madison. So we sat around and we played a game called uh, Blood on the Clock Tower. Oh, Similar to like Mafia or Werewolf. Um, just like way more intense, almost like there, like there's like a dungeon master character. Yes. Uh, and that was a lot of fun just to like have everyone. I know Paul, you couldn't play, but you were there and you got yep. to see how we were bumbling around. And yeah. Messing that was super up. great. Cause I got to see <laughs> what was going on to begin with and then to watch yes. all the mistakes happen. Um, right, but I, was, yeah. I was still doing setup for Adepticon and stuff like that. So I, I didn't have all the time in the world. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was super fun. Like, and that's that's my highlight too. Um, is just that there were so many people from Madison there. Usually, when I've gone in the past, I've been the only person from Madison playing any GW games for all four days. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. wow. And this year, uh, it was on Thursday. There were like fourteen, and even on Sunday, there were still like eight or nine people hanging out. Yeah, and yeah, that's so huge. It was great to just like have people to sit and talk and hang out with and yes um like my saturday night was just spent hanging out with people from madison that i don't get to talk to because i don't get out much and just having a great time right like and and what more can you ask for so yeah yeah that is so cool um other just to loop it back one of the other Mm. fun benefits is some of the people who go to like war cry league night or go to like the underworld's nights yeah they've all been like man i'd really like to try to play path to glory sometime yeah if only there was a group in madison and i'm like okay there's all these individuals that want to do yes like let's let's do it we're just gonna start doing it Mm -hmm. that's really exciting that's really really cool yeah brilliant yeah uh my only other question was just going to be yeah like what was your favorite moment overall from adepticon but i think yeah the modern world crew all hanging out sounds like a great time yeah no it's fantastic brilliant amazing well we are starting to come to the end here do you guys have anything else you want to say about adepticon or anything else we've talked about uh i mean no just like adepticon is a blast it's worth Like if you're in the area, it's worth going just like for the day of teams, just to see all the display boards and to, oh, to wow, see yeah. all the hobby on display. Uh, but then if you want to play any game, it's always worth going. And then you get to meet so many people that you may like, there are people like I see online, like it's not even that they're names, but I'm just like, okay, I, I notice we're in the same circles. Yes. Now I see you have a face Yes. Uh, type stuff. So that's always uh, a fun experience just to like, actually make a human connection with someone that you know exists somewhere totally yeah that's huge yeah yeah and for me it was just um adepticon is awesome because there are so many people and you don't even know who you're going to talk to like i didn't know who i was going to spend the most time with yeah during adepticon while i was at adepticon yeah and and i had an awesome time like i mean 
Um, Greg Dan came over from the UK, which was awesome. He played in the Gibbering Dome. Uh, he borrowed really? Arnie from me. And like just being able to sit and talk with him, I met him like years ago at Adepticon. Yeah. And, and, and this year for me, it was a lot of seeing a lot of people that you knew previously that you hadn't seen since COVID because they didn't come last year or they couldn't totally. make it or whatever, yeah. right? And so that was a ton of fun and an awesome experience. So, yeah. I mean, Adepticon is just, it, it's this like, you know, building where I get to go for one week out of the year to just like do yeah. awesome things all the time yeah. and what's not to love, right? Yeah, it just sounds like the the best, the absolute best time. Brilliant. Well, I have loved this episode. Thank you guys so much for sharing all of your Adepticon thoughts and plans and everything. It is just, I come away just from listening to that, like so enthused about narrative play and Age of Sigmar and this awesome hobby that we get to do. Um, and so, yeah, just brilliant. Um, yeah, I'm going to launch into our outro then. So, well, dear listeners, uh, our fire has at last burned down to embers and we must take to the path once more. If you enjoyed your time with us, consider leaving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, or you can leave a tip over on our Patreon at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. If you'd like to share your stories with us, you can head on over to our Twitter at Path to Story, or you can chat with us on our Discord at themortalrealms.com forward slash Discord. Finally, if you'd like to keep uh, any of us company on the road, uh, Will, where can they find you online? You can find me at Twitter at Age of Sever or on the Discord just as Sever. Amazing. And Paul, where can they find you online? Uh, at PJ Shard. Amazing. And I'm Kieran, and you can find me at underscore Magpie Paints on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me as Kieran uh, on the Discord as well. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening, and we'll see you again very soon. Of half new story, and AOS Harris knows the half new